So um, last week, y'all covered the easy subject of Melchizedek and, in Hebrews because, you know, those are the, the, that's the elemental things. So you got that out of the way and that kind of wrapped up your, your study on the new covenant. And before we move on to the next topic in, as we're going through what's called systematic theology, um, Tom wanted to take a look at marriage and how marriage, you can see the new covenant in marriage. Um, so the, where we're going to be at tonight will be in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and I'll just read that to you real quick. If you have your Bibles, you're, you can turn there with me. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. <clears throat> Paul writes this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is in chapter 5 in Ephesians. And when you read Ephesians, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's kind of like a summary. It's like the book of Romans condensed down into about three chapters. And then all of a sudden, in, the, in, in what we call chapter 4, the last half of Paul's letter, he makes this turn, and he starts getting real practical about everyday life. And in this case, in what we call chapter 5, um, he's started with how to walk in love. And he's, he's going through these things. And after he talks to husbands and wives, he's going to talk to children, and he's going to talk to slaves and to masters. And... Um, that's where, where we find that passage. Now, we've got some things that we can notice from this. I want you to notice, first off, that the love of the husband is sacrificial. When Paul tells husbands to love their wives, he gives them a standard by which to go by. He says to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Um, the first portion of that passage, 22, 23, and 24, those first three verses about wives submitting to their husbands, I grew up with, um, with a lot of, of young girls who they were, they were strong churchgoers. Those, those gals, just like Miss Nancy, you prayed for that lady for 35 years and she was saved. Part of the reason that I'm where I am today, part of the reason that I'm saved is because those gals prayed for me. 
And over the course of them growing up, those first three verses, a lot of times that can tend to be where we park with wives submit to your husbands. But if you notice... Easy, you're going, you, you almost got in trouble before, and I've tried to help you out now. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> but Paul has a whole lot more to say and a whole lot more guidance to give when he talks to husbands. And he talks about how husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. And this, this institute of marriage the new covenant is so wrapped up in it. Do you notice that when, I mean, I almost think that in Paul's mind, Paul was like, all right, I'm going to talk to wives. There we go. All right, I'm going to talk to husbands. And then as he's writing, you can almost hear him go, man, this is so much like how Jesus loves us. Well, this is how you ought to love him. He laid down his life for me. You know what he, so he spends a whole lot more time here. And I think it behooves us to really focus on this set of the scripture. The second thing, the love of the husband is purposeful. It's sacrificial, and it has a purpose. Why did Jesus love the church? Well, it says this. It is for the betterment of the wife that, she might, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I'm standing here, and I'm, I, I, was, I was talking to folks before we started tonight, and I, I'm talking to people who have been, y'all are a lot farther down the, the marriage road than I am. I mean, my wife and I have been married for... 18 years. We dated for five years before that, and, and I'd love to try and count those years towards it, but it doesn't really work. You know, we, we're all at different points down this road. But in this, I'm looking at my marriage, and how different would my marriage be? How different would my relationship with my wife be if everything I did had her in mind? I'd love to think that everything I do has her in mind. I mean, I, I, like, I tell her all the time that I get up and go to work and teach school so I can fund her extravagant lifestyle. And, and, and she, she kind of throws up a little fist at me every once in a while for that. But how different would that look? That's, that's the standard that Paul's talking to us about. That's, that's the new covenant. Everything that Jesus did on earth was for the glory of the Father and for the betterment of us. So that's the standard that I've got. That's what I look up to. That's where the bar set for how I need to love my wife. And the third thing, the love of the husband is exclusive. Jesus, the um, one of the, there's a there's a story out there um, about Oprah Winfrey and where she went started going off the rails was she was sitting in a church service and she heard the pastor talking about how God is a jealous God and that offended her. But if you look at what that means. 
it means God's the only person who can be jealous. God is the only being who can be jealous and not be a jerk. If I'm jealous over my wife's time, if I totally monopolize her time, she has folks that she's still friends with from high school. They are all good ladies. They, they, they have, they've just stayed close together. If I monopolize her time in a, in a jealous way where I don't let her spend time with those ladies because it threatens me, then that's wrong. If God is jealous, though, if God tells us, hey, stop looking at that over there. Stop. Stop looking at this. Get your eyes on me. Well, that's the most loving thing that he can say, isn't it? Because that's for our betterment. If we can get our eyes off of this, I mean, what what are we seeing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? That if we can focus on him, that's what gets us through. Well, in this, the love of the husband is exclusive because... When Paul's writing about this, he remembers what he learned growing up from back in Genesis. He quotes Genesis. Therefore, the man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. He loves her the way that he loves his own body. So marriage is so much like the relationship between the church and Jesus that Paul is writing practical commands about how to walk in marriage and he can't help himself but start talking about the love that Jesus has for the church and what that looks like. You know, covenant keeping is God's nature. If you think about it, every word out of the mouth of God is covenant. That's his language. It was covenant when he said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So looking at the covenants that he puts into our lives is a, is a helpful reminder. I mean, in the new covenant, we've got, we've got the Lord's Supper, right? Where we take the bread and the wine and that reminds us of the body of Christ being broken and his blood being poured out for our sins. We've got baptism, right? Paul talks about this in what is it Romans is it Romans 6:4? I think that's right. Romans 6:4 that we're buried in the likeness of his death. I think that's right. We're buried in the likeness of his death and we would just like he died when that baptism pictures our old man dying and being raised in newness of life. It doesn't mean that we come up out of those waters really physically any different. I mean, we're still in sin, but it's different, right? We're on that journey of sanctification, just like Paul talked about in this passage, right? That Jesus loves us for the purpose of sanctifying us, for the purpose of setting us apart. And it's Peter who says, you are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. You, you, are, you are different. You are set aside. Behold, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So in the new covenant, we have those, those things like 
um, the Lord's Supper, we have baptism that are these, these pictures that God gives us in our mind. And I really think that marriage is just like those. Um, like the New Covenant, marriage is the doing of God. When Jesus talks about marriage, Mark records Jesus talking about marriage in Mark 10, 6 through 9, and he says that Jesus said, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, you notice he's quoting back to Genesis as well, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." Like the new covenant, marriage is a display of God. When, um, when Paul was writing, and what we just read, he couldn't write about marriage and not talk about the love that Jesus has for his church. And this kind of gives us a new, new twist on marriage. As I was studying this, I mean, I, I get really uncomfortable. And this, can I just confess this to y'all? I mean, nobody's watching except everybody on live stream, right? I get really uncomfortable with, the, with, those, with those first three verses in, that, that we, we've got in Ephesians because I've seen a lot of folks that have been hurt by that from my background. I've seen people take that wives submit to your husbands and twist it and, and turn it into where like somebody was joking before that, that marriage isn't a covenant, that marriage is a prison. Well, if you've got those first three verses twisted, then I'm sure that it can seem like a prison. But just like somebody could abdicate their responsibility and not be in submission, then I can abdicate my responsibility and not love my wife the way I'm supposed to. Marriage is, is, is both parties becoming one. So... It, that's, that's the truth. Now, how good are we at doing that? That's, that's the problem. That's, if, if, there's, if there's a weak link in the chain, it's me. That's, that, 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 I'm, the, I'm the weakest link in that. So marriage is a model of Christ in the church, and there's some implications to that for us. Marriage is more significant than we give it credit for. And we see that because there's a lot of folks that kind of rush into marriage, aren't there? One of the things that, that I had to get used to after I was ordained is that people would come to me and ask me to perform their marriage. And the, I, I had to get a lot of wisdom about that. I won't take anybody through, I won't, I won't perform a marriage for anybody unless I've gotten a chance to make sure that they know what they're getting into. Not necessarily that they know the person that they're going to get married to. I, that's part of it. But more than that, this is getting God intimately involved in your relationship. Because this marriage is something that He instituted. So I won't marry any, I won't put anybody through a marriage ceremony unless I've had an opportunity to sit down with them and I want them to understand this is what you're stepping into. This, this isn't, in, in our culture today, I mean, we see, the way we see marriage portrayed on TV, the way that we see marriage portrayed, um, just the, the way that marriage is kind of being drugged through the mud with, with all the whole gender and everything. I mean, we'll just, we'll just take marriage. We'll let anybody marry anything. 
And we, we've, got, we've got to tread super lightly because this marriage thing was never our idea. This is God's territory. And we need to be really, really careful how we're stepping into it. The second impl- implication is I think that, gra- that marriage is a whole lot more grace-based than we give it credit for. Grace is the foundation of our relationship with God. It's only through grace that we are justified. And, and we, we're just, just so we're all clear, justified means that God looks at me and says, you are in right standing with me. And he doesn't stop at justification. He goes on to reconciliation. I used to think that keeping a checkbook was the easiest thing in the world. I mean, it's super easy. You put money in, you write a check, you record it, you subtract it, you go on about your business. And the first time I had to reconcile my checkbook, oh my word, <laughs> this is totally not worth it. We need to go to a cash-based society. I don't ever want to do this again. Well, God brings us into full reconciliation with Him. That means the account is zeroed out. It's, it's because... The debt was fully paid. That's the only way that that account can be set up. Well, that that grace-based relationship in marriage, I heard the the guy that I one guy that I really trust that I went to for this, he put it this way. He said that that our relationship with God is that new covenant is a vertical relationship. It's how we relate to God. And that marriage is taking that relationship and bending it outward towards your spouse. He said this. He said, the reason that it's it's supposed to be like this is because in marriage, there's going to be conflict based on sin. I mean, Jen did not realize the type of person I am until she had lived with me for quite a little while. And we're supposed to forbear strangeness and forgive sinfulness. And sometimes in marriage, it's really hard to tell the difference between the two. (laughs) Is what I've learned over 18 years. It's grace-based because forgiving and forbearing is rough, hard work. Can it be? I know it is for my wife dealing with me. And it makes affections. If if you can work through that, that difficulty when you have that sick child that comes up, when you have health problems yourself that comes up, when you suddenly, the bad choices that you make don't just affect you anymore. It affects everybody. And that, that hard work of forgiveness and forbearance is what will make affection flourish when you think it's gone. Marriage is grace-based because... In all this, at the end, when, and I'm I'm, I'm saying this from Jen's perspective, when Jen has worked and relied on God to live with me throughout the course of our marriage, at the end of that, God gets the glory. Just like in the New Covenant that there's nothing we bring to the table in this covenant. It's the, the, the only thing we bring is our need. And 
through the work of Jesus on the cross, that need is satisfied. In marriage, the only thing that we can do as we are in that process of becoming one, I think that it's more than just that intimate union that occurs in marriage. I think that that's, that's a process that takes all your entire marriage life. I know looking back at my parents, um, Chuck loves to tell me all the time how dad, I, I, I got the much better version of dad than he did. That I got the version that was 12 years on down the road. He got the, the, the earlier version. He got dad 1.0. I got like Windows 10. Are, are you with me? And he, he got to ben, I got to benefit from that, that, that sanctification. And that's as much, one of the means of sanctification that we have, one of the means of God making us Christ-like can be our marriage, can it? And so, like Paul looked at marriage, you can't unwind the new covenant, the love that Jesus has for his church from marriage. And marriage can be one of those things that, we, that God uses to keep us mindful of what's actually going on and the benefit that we have in the new covenant.